Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview today's special guest, Susan L. Combs. So let me tell you a little bit about Susan. Susan is the president of Combs & Company, a full-service insurance brokerage based in New York City. Susan started the company at, get this, 26 years old, talk more about that here in a bit, with a drive to do more better. I love that as well. This internal mantra has resulted in numerous successes and first, like being named the youngest national president in over 85-year history of the Women in Insurance and Financial Services, and the first female broker of the year winner for the Benefits Pro Magazine. Susan is a Missouri girl in a New York world, and it's the lessons she learned during her Midwestern upbringing and two plus decades living in New York City that are the basis for her book, Pancakes for Roger. The insights contained in the pages come from family, friends, colleagues, and life in general, but the most important teachings are from her late father. It was his steady guidance in life that set Susan's foundation, and it was his passing that inspired her new movement, Pancakes for Roger. When Susan's not running her business or trying to help others through their own challenges, you can find her flipping tires at her beloved CrossFit gym, supporting the Missouri Tigers, the Kansas City Chiefs, which at the the time of this airing, we will know if they're the Super Bowl champs or not because we're recording this before the Super Bowl here in about two more weeks. And the Kansas City Royals, or slaying her own dragons, or the dragons, I should say, that have come her way. Susan, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yes. Thanks, Alan. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on here. And I've shared with our listeners just, you know, a brief overview of kind of some of the highlights of who you are and what you're, what some of your accolades and what you're up to today. But can you just take us back and just give us the overview of kind of how you got to where you are today? Basically, the Cliff Nose version of your story. Ah, the Cliff Nose version. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I grew up in a small town in the northwest corner of Missouri, population 986 people when I left. I went to the University of Missouri and then ultimately came to New York City for a job that didn't pan out. And I, I stayed. So I've been here, God, I mean, in May, it'll be it'll be 23 years since I've been in New York City. So I, I will have lived here in New York longer than I've lived anywhere else. So, you know, my, my father was in the military. He was also a general in, or excuse me, he was a general in the Air Force. And then he was also a judge in a civilian life. And I come from also an entrepreneurial background. So I've always been taught that, you know, the, the world is bigger than your backyard. Go out and see what it is. But if you want to come back to your backyard, there's no shame in that. But for me, New York worked. It um, it resonated with me. I think the opportunities for women are second to none in New York City, to be honest. And um, I own a brokerage firm. I started in 2005. have a couple other companies, including a published company. And then Pancakes to Roger actually became a nonprofit as of December of 2023. So that's another... Another thing that we're doing to kind of build an endowment to do to unify um, veterans with funding opportunities to do good in their backyards and beyond. I love it. I love it. So you start your insurance brokerage at, did you say age 26 was 2005? Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
So now we can all do the math and figure out your age, but we won't go there. 44. That's okay. I have no problem with that. I don't look 44, so I'm good with that. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. Love it. I love it. Yeah. So that's good. So you were, you were doing that. And then you said you, I know the most recent endeavor is, or is starting the nonprofit pancakes for Roger, which I want to get to, but what was the one in between there? You said you have some other business as well. I'm sorry, Missouri Chick, which is the publishing company that owns my my book. So I do public speaking through that and some consulting as well and business coaching. But then Combs and Company is my brokerage firm that I've had since 2005. And we do business in 41 states. We're experts on the weird and the unusual. So we'll, you know, we'll, we have like sober coach, we have a clown, we have robots that charge electric vehicles. Um, we're working on a company right now that's going to be launching satellites hopefully. <laughs> so we're kind wow. of known for that kind of the weird th- type of things. And um, when it comes to risk, I mean, my my husband calls me a dreams dasher sometimes because I give kind of people a reality check when they're like, hey, I have this great business. And I think of all the things that can go wrong with it and how do we insure it. <laughs> wow. And are you actively, are you like the CEO of that company or what's your role? You're, okay. So you're actively running that business yep. today. Okay. So how did... So many questions I want to ask you. How did the pancakes for Roger, how did that all come about? So pancakes for Roger, I mean, man, it's at this point, I mean, it's a movement, it's a book, it is a keynote speech, and now it's a nonprofit. So what what is it not, right? But pancakes for Roger actually started out of the simple request for my father for pancakes when he was on hospice. And I moved from New York City back to Missouri to help be a caretaker for my father in 2018. And my father had a feeding tube. He was also on oxygen. So for your listeners that have been a caretaker and have dealt with this, you know, you can't get your nutrition outside the feeding tube. And if oxygen levels go low, you can have some confusion. So my father and I kind of had a cadence, which involved me going, you know, checking on him, going to the gym, coming back, checking on him again, and then getting ready for the day and then helping him get ready. And one morning after we kind of went through that dance, then I came to help get him ready out of his, his hospital bed. He wasn't there and he wasn't in the living room and he wasn't in the bathroom. And I rounded the corner to the kitchen and he had a placemat out and he had set the table with this plate and his silverware. And I looked at my dad and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I want pancakes for breakfast. And this request just, it broke my heart because this is a man that had a feeding tube for over a year and he never once complained about not being able to eat. And I said, you know, dad, we're on hospice here. We have a DNR. And if I give you pancakes and you choke, we're, we're probably done here. And I don't think we're quite ready to be done. And of course he said, oh yes, I can. Matt said I could. Well, Matt's my brother and Matt's a nurse and he wasn't there that morning. So I knew we were dealing with some oxygen deprivation and some confusion. So I looked at him, I said, let me see what I can do. So the general always liked his tube feeding formula, heated up for 14 seconds in the microwave, never 13 or 15, he would have known. Um, and so I heated up for 14 seconds. It. And I put it on the table and he said, what's that? And I said, that's your syrup. And so his oxygen levels had started kind of rallying around. He kind of smiled and nodded and, you know, because he knew that that's just, that's just what it was. And so a few short weeks later, my father would ultimately pass away. And I took one day of, off of work when I returned to New York. And I just needed one day to just shut it down, not deal with emails, not deal with clients and just be. And my husband said, why don't we go to the diner and have some pancakes for your dad? And so my husband and I went to the Bel Air Diner in Queens, New York, and my husband took a picture of me enjoying pancakes, and I, and I told the story on social media. I never thought it would go anywhere. It was just sharing part of my heart, sharing part of my sorrow, 
And I said in that post, if you're so inclined, why don't you go have some pancakes for Roger and remember all the great things that you have in your life? Because all of our lives can change in a blink of an eye. And so that was it. That was, I thought, hey, tomorrow's Tuesday, (laughs) business as usual. But then people started having pancakes and they started sending me pictures. And then people started saying, I can't have pancakes now and not think of your father or not think of military service or not think about talking about service with my family. So then we started doing fundraising efforts for the University of Missouri School of Law Veterans Clinic. And that veterans clinic actually provides free legal services for our veterans and their families navigating the VA claims and appeals process, discharge upgrades, and a whole lot more free of charge. And so what we started doing, my father's birthday was February 22nd. So the entire month of February, every pancake loving picture that we get on social media, where it's got to be a public facing profile, of course, where they use the hashtag pancakes for Roger, or now they can tag our Instagram or Facebook pages on pancakes for Roger. We make a donation to the veterans clinic in my father's honor. So last year we got all 50 states, we got 24 additional countries and we got all seven continents. So I'm looking at Antarctica. So I need somebody to help me get Antarctica again because we got it last year. So we got to get it this year. But it's one of those things that it was just, it was so, it was so easy, but it's also, gosh, it does your heart good. And I'm getting people that are reaching out saying, my kids are growing up on Pancakes for Roger. And the kids look forward to pancakes. And they're like, hey, it's pancake month. And so that's how it started. And then it became a book. Um, And the book... I'll tell you, wasn't supposed to be about my father. I do a lot of publicly public speaking, and I usually end my talks in kind of some unsolicited advice that are fun quotes that I've gotten from people. And I always thought it would be cool to turn that into a book. And so my dad was supposed to be a chapter, but then the the general took over the whole freaking book, like like he was known to do. Um, so it's it's a lot of lessons. It's separated into four sections: self, love, family, and career. And it has a lot of life lessons from my dad and some other mentors that I've had along the way. Wow. And how did he take over the whole book when he was supposed to just be a chapter? Is that just go back to all the lessons that he had, you had learned from him all the years and all the wisdom he'd imparted in you? Or how, how did that happen? Um, to be honest, I think it was more, I think in, in families, I mean, I'm sure you have, uh, have listeners that, um, and watchers that have been caregivers. And I think that when you have somebody that's, that's kind of the patriarch of the family that is gone, somebody steps into that role. Somebody has to, right? And so I was the one that thought a lot like my father. I had sat down with him twice before he passed and spreadsheeted everything. I knew who the plumber was, who the electrician was. I knew who to sell the Winnebago to. I knew who to talk to the VA benefits. Like I had all this information, had all the passwords. That's the thing I tell people, have all the passwords. And so I threw myself into what I call family office, family business right away. So I didn't get a lot of that grieving time that the rest of my family got. And Mm. writing the book was almost a gift to me in a way, because it was very cathartic. I mean, I ugly cried every single week that I wrote just because it was, it was just healing. And it was to, you know, talk through the lessons and talk through the messages and remember, you know, the, the man that my father was. And so it was, like I said, there's just, there's so much wisdom. And I was always taught growing up that if you get a good piece of advice, it is your duty to share it with somebody else. Because if it helped you, more than likely you can help somebody else. And I also realized I had an incredible father. I had a wonderful father. And not everybody does. 
And so I've actually had people that have come to me and said, I was, I was an orphan. I was in the foster care system. I don't, didn't know what it was like to grow up with a loving mother and father. And it was so wonderful to read this book and get some of those fatherly lessons that I missed out on. So those are the things that just do my heart good and, and make me want to like, like do more better, like you mentioned before. Right, right. I love that so much. So who would you say the book is for, Susan? Well, so when you're writing a book... They'll flat out tell you, if you say you're writing the book for everybody, you'll write it for nobody. Um, So you have to be really specific. So it's kind of fun when you're going through the book writing process because you kind of come up with an avatar. So kind of a character and a person that you're writing the book towards. So it doesn't mean that, that it won't work for other people. But when I set out to write the book, it was typically more for women. Um, And I would say ages 20 to 50 is kind of what I had in mind in my head. And, but then... I'll tell you, it's, it's changed. I mean, I get military fathers that tell me that one of my, my good friends that was actually a helicopter pilot too. My father was a member of the Purple Foxes squadron and so was he. And he said, I buy this book to every single new father that's having a child as a guide to raise a strong daughter or a strong son. Wow. And so that's something that I just never even thought about. That was never what I, what I set out to do, but I have so many guides, guys that read this book and fathers that buy the books for their teenage daughter or their daughters going off to college because it's just, I, I, I don't talk in big words. It's quick hits. I would say the longest chapter is maybe 10 pages, but there's some chapters that are, that are two paragraphs. So it goes through a lot of life lessons. And I always tell people, you know, I had Uncle Joe uh, that he told my mother when she had my brother, Matt, he said, Gloria, people are going to give you a lot of advice. Take what you want, throw out the rest. So that's what I tell people with this book. A lot of things you can plug and play. A lot of things you can just file away. And if there's an instance in your life that you kind of come at a crossroads and it might pertain to you, then great. But a lot of times it's just like, hey, that's just like a fun story. And I enjoy reading about it too. That's awesome. Well, and I love that. I think you said your father was, did you say 39 years? Active 39 duty years, four or, months. You got to give him the four months. <laughs> and the four months. And, and his attention to detail. I love that. He did 40 or 14 seconds, not 13, not 15, but 14 seconds. I can relate with that so much. The general, uh, the general. <laughs> the general. What was, so what was his retired rank? He was a major general. So that's a two-star general for um, civilian people. Yeah. Wow. Right on. How cool. How cool. So are you more, I don't know if this is even a fair question to say, but what, well, let me ask you this. What takes more of your time today of the three businesses that you own? Where do you find most of your time going towards? You know, it really depends on the day. I will tell you, I am my father's daughter and I'm highly organized and I'm highly meticulous. And so I block the heck out of my calendar. So I will say that every single day pretty much has a little bit of all businesses, but I live and die by my calendar. So it, I also do um, a a lot of expert witnessing on the Affordable Care Act throughout the country. And so I I work in 41 states on the expert witness side too. So some days it's like, it's all insurance. So I'm talking about risk. I'm doing risk assessments. Some days it's interviews for the book or I'm doing a, a keynote speech on the book. And then some days it's just, you know, um, I'm, I'm selling insurance or I'm doing expert witness analysis. It just depends on the day. Right. I can understand that. You've had a ton of success and continue, Susan, to have a ton of success. What would you say is one of the keys to your success that maybe our listeners and myself can learn from? I think the biggest part of my success has always come when I've been open 
Uh, so I think that that insurance can be a very much like you got to fit in this box type of thing. But every single time that I've kind of taken things to the next level, it's been when I've been open to opportunities. So probably the, the first time I was open to opportunity, I started out as a health insurance brokerage, but then I worked for a firm that was the largest entertainment broker and they required you to get what we call property and casualty license. That's more on the business side of insurance. And so that was something that led to a new line of things. My leadership, you had mentioned becoming the national president for women in insurance and financial services. That was an opportunity that scared me. You know, I talked to a lot of mentors before I decided to take that role on, but that was something that really honed my leadership skills and my speaking skills. And then the expert witness thing, somebody just asked me and I said, well, why not? So it's just in the book was like, oh, why not? And then the nonprofit, oh, why not? So it's, I think every single time when I reflect back on my life, the most times that I've had the greatest, greatest success is instead of saying, no, it's too hard. It's like, why can't we figure it out? Let's talk it through. Let's see how this can work. I love it. I love it. Being open-minded to possibilities. Is there a challenge with like your type of personality that's obviously very driven, has a lot of success, go, go, go. Like, you know, obviously you're, you're valuing your time and you're blocking it out, as you said, but knowing what to say yes to and what to say no to. And so that you don't overcommit. Is that something something you ever struggle with or is that just... I'm sorry. We have a bad connection. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I will tell you, you know how people have the word of the year. Yeah, um, well, I've got mine. The, yeah, my word of the year for 2024, I have two of them. My first one is no, because I do overextend myself. And I do, you know, I'm, I'm a passionate person and I'm a driven person. And I also will say I do not have children because it, it just, I have the capacity to do things on a work level that, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know how my friends or parents can juggle all of it. So, and then my second word of the year is slay. So the things that I do decide to say yes to, I want to do it to full capacity. But, you know, with the the year of nope for me is, it's not only saying, pulling back from some of the business thing and and having more of a balance, it's also re-examining some relationships. Because I think sometimes people go through the motions of, you know, even friendships and maybe you've outgrown them. And so I always look at like, hey, is this causing me more pain than pleasure? You know, I'm giving so much to this situation. Am I getting anything in return? And so kind of understanding those type of things. So, um, I, you know, I, I will say that's, that's one of my, my faults is I'm, I'm uber type A, I'm uber driven, and I, I do work a tremendous amount. <laughs> well, I only ask that because I'm very... You're not going to believe this, but you can go back to my Facebook and, and we can, and anyone listening can do the same and verify what I'm saying is true. But because I posted about it earlier this month, but my word for the year is no. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I knew the question to ask. That's awesome. Then, that's great. Yeah. Uh, it's always a challenge. So, what would you say? I mean, again, ton of success, but I think a lot of people, I know if I go back several years, you know, there was a time when it felt like, as the waves of life were pounding me, you know, figuratively speaking, I'm getting punched in the face from a child with cancer to siblings taking their life to, 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 I mean, the list goes on and on feeling like, man, how am I supposed to have success in the midst of all these challenges? And 
nobody else is going through things as hard as I am. And I started realizing that's just stinking thinking, first of all, and we all go through hard things. And some of the most successful people have gone through hard things. You've already described one, you know, with your father. But so I always like asking people just to help listeners with their own limiting beliefs, if for no, no other reason, like, would you say, like, what is one or more of the harder things that you've been through at 44 years of life so far? Well, I mean, there, there's a lot, <laughs> Yeah. but, um, you know, but, but I'll say I'm very adaptive you know, before the show started, one of the things that I had mentioned to you is my, my brother is the longest surviving bone marrow transplant, male bone marrow transplant performed at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And this June, it'll be 33 years since his transplant. Wow. And so I was 10 when he was diagnosed. And so, and my parents and my brother basically moved to Memphis for three years. And, you know, they, my parents eventually worked out a rotation, but my, my brother was the priority as he should have been. But my brother during that time, he had a 16% chance of survival. Childhood cancer in the eighties was a lot different than it is now. And well, especially with the the type of uh, leukemia that he had. Um, So I think that, that during that time, I did learn how to take on a lot of things myself. I'm not saying it's the right thing. Um, I was called an easy keeper in my family. And um, I would say if you have parents listening, if you have those kids that you call the easy keeper, those are the ones you kind of need to check on. Because a lot of times they internalize a lot of things or they take a lot of things on. And so they won't share things with their parents because they don't want to be a burden because you're not the cancer kid, right? Right. So that I would say that's one of my earliest memories of having, you know, to slay my own dragons in a way and to really kind of figure things out, you know, and I, and I'll tell you, I was the kid. I mean, I, I wore glasses ever since I was in first grade and my dad would, if my dad were here, he would tell you that when I was six years old, I would say, what time is my eye appointment? And I would, at six years old, I would set my own alarm and I knew what time we had to leave. And I would be sitting by the door 15 minutes before we had to leave. I was just that kid. So, you know, there, those are things, I mean, I, I really think, I mean, and it, one of the cool things that I've gotten to do as an adult is I actually took my brother to Memphis last year for his 32-year checkup. Oh, cool. So St. Jude is a beautiful place. And, um, you know, those that have, have dealt with it, I mean, it's, it just is. And when I was there with my brother, we really got a chance to talk about how that experience shaped who we were as people. I mean, it was very, very different. And there was a lot of things that he was a 13-year-old boy at that time. And I was 10 years old. I didn't have the capacity to understand what he was going through. Just like he was 13 years old and he was fighting for his life. He didn't care what his 10-year-old sister was dealing with. So it was very, very great. But one of the things, uh, I, I don't want to get choked up, but when we were... When we were in Memphis and we were on that checkup, of course, when people look at us, they think we're parents of a child, of a, of a cancer patient because of, of our age. And right. when we would be on the elevator, I would say to these little bald faces and their parents, I said, we're here for his 32-year checkup. And they were just, wow. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I said to my brother, I said, you have to tell them because I said, you give them hope. And I said, we didn't have any. So those are the things that I think that, that, you know, even losing my father, I talked about it a lot because you don't get a sign. 
You don't get a sign saying my child has cancer. You don't get a sign saying my father just passed away. You don't get a sign saying my, you know, I'm dealing with a, a you know, a brother with severe mental illness. You know, they, they, you don't get a sign. So by talking about it, you build a team and you build a community around you. So when I talked about it and when I wrote about my father's clock winding down and some of the things that I wish somebody had taught me that I wasn't prepared for, I the outreach that I got that people said, oh my gosh, this resonated with me. Or I had people that their parents were currently on hospice. And they almost use it as a checklist to make sure that they were doing the right thing so that when the time came, they weren't scrambling to get things done. I love that. I love that perspective. So when you look back on your challenges now, Susan, you know, the different things you've been through with your father and your brother, and I'm sure others that you haven't even mentioned on the show, how do you view them in hindsight? Do you view them as assets? Do you view them as liabilities? Do you view them? How do you view that? I mean, my... My feeling has always been, you know, you get people that say they regret stuff, right? They regret their past. They regret some decisions they made. I've always felt like if you say you regret your past, you're denying yourself the place in the world right now. And so right, wrong, or indifferent, even though that there may be some mistakes you had along the way, or maybe you've had childhood trauma that a lot of us have had, you're a survivor. So you can stand in the room and say, who's going to help me? Who's going to save me? Or you can move forward. I mean, my favorite quote is from Marcus Aurelius, get, a, get active in your own rescue. And I just firmly believe that, that it's just like, there's a lot of things that you can just ball up and say, hey, I can't even deal with this. But I, you know, but everybody's different. And I will say, I've been a person that it, I've never dealt with mental illness or depression, but both of my brothers have. And, you know, just kind of an example of how people deal with things differently the the day after we found out that my father relapsed for the second time and we knew this was basically the end my brother my brother matt called into work and i went and gave a keynote speech you know i mean because my dad was somebody that showed up for people even when he didn't want to and so that was the example i had and again different personalities so i think one of the things you also have to look at is giving people the space to be themselves and understand that just because you do something one way doesn't mean it's the right way and doesn't mean that somebody the way somebody else is doing something is wrong. That's really, really good advice. And and I identify with that. We're, we're alike. The more you talk, the more I realize we're alike. But um, I've had two siblings with mental illness, obviously, um, take their lives. And the first was my younger brother and business partner at the time. And it happened on a Friday that I was hosting, my wife and I were hosting a three-day event for, at the time, maybe a hundred people had flown in, drove into this particular weekend event. And like you, the way I dealt with it was to continue on with the event and serve the people that I was there to serve. And I remember, I wrote about this in my book, but I remember a particular person judging me as wrongly handling the way I should grieve for my brother's loss that I got the phone call of, you know, a few hours before that event started that day. And I remember how much that hurt me because I'm already hurt. You know, I'm like, you don't understand. This is, this is what I feel called to do. This is the way I'm going to handle this. And I think it's the right thing to do, but yeah, that's not, that doesn't mean everybody should do, do me, you know, they need to do them. So I love that you that you shared that. Do you have any advice that you might share for somebody who's in the middle of their challenging season of life? 
don't be afraid to ask for help. I mean, I think there's these secret clubs. Like, you know, I always talk about the dead dad club because to be honest, like when my, my father passed away, I had one of my best girlfriends growing up. Uh, she lost her father when we were in high school, but I lost my dad in my thirties. And outside of her, nobody else that was in my close circle has lost their father still today. And so it was something that the people that I normally would have gone to, they just, they listened to me. They listened to me cry. They listened to me talk, but they just didn't, they didn't know how to help. But it, and then when my dad passed, there's all these people that came out of the woodwork to support me and that, that were a member of the club that I didn't know existed. And you never know about until you, you're in, indoctrinated into it. And, you know, with those people, they helped me tremendously. And so what it made me do is when I see somebody post something on Facebook where they say, oh, you know, my father just passed away. I don't, I don't make a comment on the post. I reach out to them privately. If I have their cell phone number, I text them. You know, I give them a call. And the thing is, I check on them again because everybody's really good that first month, right? Checking on you. And it's it's not it's not being negative about those people in any way because they're they have their own lives, right? Right. And so it's the people that check on you in three months, checking on you in six months. I mean, two of my best girlfriends still always reach out to me on my dad's birthday and around Father's Day, just saying, Hey, I just want to check on you you know, type of thing. So being able to kind of return that favor, I think is, is a beautiful way. And it's a way to do service too. That's such, such great advice. If you could go back in time, Susan, and give your younger self, just kind of jumping back to the living a successful life or dealing with challenges, however you want to, whatever direction you want to take this and give yourself some advice when, you know, that you could, something you know, now you wish you knew then what would that one, I'm sure there's many things, but what would one of those things be? I will say that I used to have a pretty big chip on my shoulder when I was young and in business. I lied about my age until I hit 30. You know, I have this gray streak and I started getting gray when I was 14. And so people thought I was older. And at 26 years old, I didn't feel deserving of a seat at the table. And I had a really hard time and I felt like I had a lot to prove. And it was, it was lonely. And so one of the things when I started my business, and I tell people this all the time when they're starting business, I underestimated the loneliness factor. And when, what I mean by that is I started out, I started my first company out of my studio apartment, but I, I was lonely. I got a freaking cat and I wasn't even a cat person. <laughs> I got a cat just to have something to talk to. But then I started putting structure around my day. I started uh, my day with fellowship. I would have a 7.30 morning meeting every single day, Monday through Friday, just because it made me show up and suit up, right? And so then I could go back to my home office and then start my day, but then purposely schedule meetings, one-on-ones, coffee to interact with other people. I think we're seeing kind of a resurgence of that. I mean, as you mentioned, I live in New York City. New York City was, was one of those places that was completely shut down with COVID. Right, and we still see a lot of people working from home. Um, my my office, we we have a, a nice office in the city, and um, we give people the flexibility if they want to work from home, they can work from home, or they can come into the office. But there's almost a social stunting that I feel has happened, and a lot of times people aren't getting out and and interacting with humans again, and I think that can be re- really to their detriment. 
so I always think that, you know, looking back on, on one of the things that I learned and that I think was one of the things I didn't anticipate was that loneliness factor. And I think anybody that's an entrepreneur that's starting out on their own and it's completely just them, I think that that's something that they just need to encounter and be ready for. 100%. And the advice that you'd give to that person besides just being, um, or even to your younger self was the context, but obviously it's for all of our learning is to understand it's going to be lonely and to put systems and processes in place where you don't, where you have interaction with people. Absolutely. Face to face. I like that. I like that. Social stunning. I wrote that down. That, that describes very well, I think, what we've kind of experienced these last few years. I, I, I would agree with that totally. Just some kind of 30 second quick questions that I like to ask all of our guests. Do you have a favorite success quote? You mentioned one earlier yeah. and maybe that's it, but that's I don't know. I just want to ask again. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I wouldn't, uh, I would say Marcus Aurelius, uh, be active, you know, get active in your own rescue. That's my favorite quote. I love it. I, I didn't, I hadn't heard it said just like that, but I've, I've said many times, I understand that people need to participate in their own rescue, but I'm sure it probably came from, from him. Be active in your own rescue. Is that yeah, how it goes? Say, um, if, if anybody's looking for a good book that way, The Daily Stoic, I think is fantastic. So The Daily Stoic has all the Stoics, you know, Marcus Aurelius and things like that. And it has like a, a kind of a quote of the day. And then it gives kind of context in a, in a almost a history lesson, if you will. And so it 365, kind of like a daily devotional type of thing. But it's just, it's really good because it's like these guys are like, I mean, it's thousands and thousands of years old, right? I love it. So that was another question I wanted to ask you was a book recommendation for the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience. Would that be it or do you have another one? Um, I will say that the book that changed my life is Signs by Laura Lynn Jackson. And so that is a book that was gifted me on the one year anniversary of my father passing. And not everybody's going to believe this on your show, but I feel that people that have passed are just without our reach. And we can still have conversations with them in our head. We can have conversations with them out loud and they will send you signs if you ask for them. So the book Signs, Secret Language of the Universe was a way to learn how to ask my dad for signs. And I will tell you, I get them on a daily basis because I'm, again, I'm open to it. And you're looking for it. What is one habit that's helped you have tremendous success, Susan? The gym. <laughs> the gym, the CrossFit gym to be specific. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've always been a gym person. Um, I will tell you that when I started my insurance brokerage firm, actually, when I started in my insurance career, I became certified as a personal trainer because I was making $24,000 a year and I was living in New York City and that wouldn't cut it. So I became a personal trainer. So I've been a gym person for a long time. But CrossFit, I will tell you, I mean, some people look at it as a cult, but it is a community. And yeah. even though I'm in Queens, New York, I'll tell you, the CrossFit community really embraced me and gave me the structure and gave me the community, especially when my dad was sick and really supported me. And I just made lifelong friends there. I love it. And that's what, you know, I, I've never been a part of a CrossFit gym. I go to other gyms, but that's the common theme I keep hearing from several of my friends that are so into CrossFit, besides the fact that they do love the CrossFit workouts is, is there's community there that is unique in that you don't really get that in most gyms. So I think that's really cool, especially if you talk about social stunting, stunting, I would say as a result of 2020 as well, we've certainly lost community and we're seeing that, you know, more than ever, I feel like. So 
pretty cool that you can actually get a workout in and get community all in the same place. I love well, it. Well, and I think too, it's like, I mean, it, uh, what I mean about it, it helped me so much is I think anybody that's been a caregiver knows that you're running on empty. So yeah. by getting up at 5 a.m. and going to work out every single morning when I was being a caregiver, it was a way to fill my cup. Because if you don't fill your cup and you're giving everything away, you're going to have nothing for yourself at the end of the day. So it was a way to start things off at the right foot. It doesn't have to be the gym. I mean, it could be daily meditation. It could be yoga. It could be uh, you know reading a book. It could be sitting on your porch drinking a cup of coffee, just having that silence time. Because then again, you're giving a gift to yourself to kind of have a recharge. So that was something that was just hugely important for me too. Yeah. What would you say is one of the better pieces of advice somebody has given you? Maybe your father or maybe somebody altogether different. Um, so it <laughs> depends on the day on what uh, Rolodex of advice I take from my father. Yeah. But um, one of the, the pieces of advice that always comes back to me is when I, when I graduated college, I graduated college in 2001, pre 9-11. And those of you listening that were in the job market then, you remember it was a sick job market. It was great. Like you could go anywhere, you could get all these job offers. I had eight job offers out of college. And so I decided to come to New York City and I had other job offers in Connecticut and in Massachusetts. And so my father and I, my spring break of my senior year, we came out to the East Coast and we drove and we went to all these different locations. And when we were driving from New London, Connecticut, the submarine base there, because we stayed on the bases when we could, to Hartford, Connecticut, my dad talked to me about three facets of life. And he said, you know, there's a lot of different parts to your life. But he said, when you look at it, he said, you kind of have three main facets. You have the thing that you do for a living, you have the person that you're with, and you have the place that you live. He was like, if you can line up and be happy with three out of three, he's like, you're living a golden life. Even if you're happy with two out of the three, you're still doing pretty good. But if you're happy with one or none of those things, only you're the person that can get off your butt and do something about it. So I've always taken that to heart. You know, I have a fantastic husband. He is a much better person than I am. He's easy on the eyes too. So that's, that's pretty nice. I love what I do professionally in New York City. I've built a life and I've built a home here. So it works for me. So I'm, I'm three out of three right now. And that's pretty good. That is very good. What is Susan L. Combs' definition of success? You know, I would say my definition of a success probably depends on the day, to be honest. But, yeah. you know, for me, it's what's the good that you can do and what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? You know, my dad was one of those guys that was good when nobody was watching. The stories that came out after he passed away, I mean, one was as simple as my brother went to pick up the mail at the post office and the postmaster said to him, she said, you know, last summer our air conditioning went out and your mom came in to get the mail and she went home and told your dad. And the next thing we know, your dad's coming down here with fans and bottles of water to make sure that we're okay. And so it's just those type of things where it's you know, doing good when nobody's watching. And so for me with, with success, it's, you know, how you make people feel. I mean, we always talk about that. People don't care what you do. You know, it's just how you make them feel. But I also think it's, it's leaving a legacy behind that matters and doing good and helping, you know, helping people that you can when you can, but, you know, also saying nope, you know, to the things that, that aren't going to serve you per people, places, and things. Right. I love that. And it sounds like Susan, you're doing a great job by your definition of success, leaving a legacy behind in a variety of ways and all the things that you have your hands in. So that's pretty, pretty exciting to get to hear and just be a little part of here, getting to share your story with a lot of people that listen to this podcast. 
when you think about the future, I love asking this question, like what is exciting Susan right now about the future? Uh, so what's exciting to me is Pancakes for Roger became an official nonprofit the end of 2023. And that's exciting for me because right now we're building the endowment and our mission is to unite veterans with funding opportunities to do good in their backyards and beyond. And so I'm so excited on what that is going to turn into. I mean, when I, when I wanted to start a nonprofit, I thought it was going to be a scholarship fund. I really did. Like I thought, hey, I can do that. I can, we can do scholarships, things like that. And then I started thinking about it and started thinking about like, well, education isn't for everybody, right? And if somebody has a GI Bill, maybe they don't need any help education-wise. But right. maybe you have a veteran that's a little league coach and they have no equipment. Maybe you have a veteran that's a little bit on hard times and they need a new car so that they can get to that job. You know, so there's things that I think we can do. I eventually, I mean, I'm putting it out there because I want to put it out in the universe. I think eventually we'll have a soldier shark tank where veterans that want to start businesses are looking for a little seed money. And it doesn't have to be, you know, we're not going to give a million dollars away, but I know I had no money when I started my my business. Nobody gave me any money. And if I had $5,000, to just help with filing fees and like incorporations and things like that, that would have helped tremendously. So I'm right. pretty excited that what the future is going to hold with that for sure. That sounds very exciting. I like the shark veteran shark tank idea. I'm, I'm a little biased towards shark tank in general. And then you throw in the veteran aspect to it. I think you could be honest. Something. That's fun. Yeah. What is the best way, Susan, for our listeners to uh, connect with you if they choose, follow along on your journey? What what resources or con- ways to contact or websites you, would you be willing to share? Yeah, sure. Um, so you can, I mean, definitely look at the, the Pancakes to Roger website. It's www.pancakestoroger.com. Especially in the month of February, since we're, we're doing the fundraising campaign, eat pancakes, use the hashtag or tag our accounts because that's how, every single pancake picture we get helps veterans. It helps veterans. It's easy, right? And you can be creative. You can have a cup, you know, a kimchi pancake. You can have a scallion pancake. We call waffles pancakes with abs. I mean, you can be really creative. <laughs> so that's, that's a really easy way to get a hold of me. And then also my company's Combs and Company. And then I'm pretty Googleable. So if you just put in Susan L. Combs, um, always put in the L um, because there is a, you know, a superintendent of insurance down in Texas that she's Susan Combs. So you, sometimes she'll pop up. So look for the brunette um, and Susan L. Combs, you can usually find me. Love it. And we'll put all of that contact information down in the show notes below. So it's easily accessible for all of our listeners. And Susan, this has been awesome. I want to give you the closing comment, anything you may want to share on the way out with our listeners. Hey, I'm just pushing the pancakes right now. Pushing the pancakes. Give me Antarctica. So, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, I, and I will say, you know, any, um, anybody that's looking to help a, a starting up nonprofit do some good in the world and you are looking to throw some sponsorship dollars, we also are doing a couple of weightlifting competitions in February and we're going to do a virtual weightlifting competition, a Dragon Slayer event in June or July. So be on the lookout for that and you can support that way too. That's awesome. And by the way, speaking of weightlifting, maybe I'm going to get the last comment here. You really bench press 205 pounds? I absolutely do. <laughs> do, not did. Do? Yeah. Do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I, 
I'm strong for a girl. Um, I will tell you, I'm I, and a very strong upper body for a girl. I've separated both my shoulders, so I think they healed really tight. So I think that attributes to my my sick bench press. Oh, <laughs> uh, that is, you know what? That's strong for probably a lot of guys. Oh, so I anyway. about half the guys in my cross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, congratulations, Susan. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you for having me, Alan. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.